We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. I still think it applies, and people have quoted me that the difference between EPL and MLS, EPL, you know who's going to win, you're just not sure who's going to score, and in MLS, you know who's going to score, you just have no clue who's going to (laughs) win. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Soccer Podcast. My name is Andrew Laird, Senior Soccer Editor of Rotowire.com. Joined today by our good friend Jordan Cooper, who uh, has a new, well, it was new last week when we were supposed to do this podcast, but I unfortunately basically blew him off. But we have a new Ask the Shark Up about predicting ownership, which we're going to talk about a little bit, uh, and then we're going to see where that goes. But Jordan, welcome back. Uh, thanks for having me back. And I don't, I don't know why... Uh... Yeah, you've been so busy. It's not like there's been that much soccer. Uh, you're right. You're right. Um, I try to take this time. I, I will say I blew you off not for work reasons. I don't know. I don't even remember what I was doing. Is, is it was that a even few a good days thing ago. to admit yourself? Uh, probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I've been swamped with, uh, I can make something up, but I got nothing. Thankfully, we're done, or at least my part's done for, the, and for our fantasy football magazine. I did do a little fantasy football stuff, you know, since it's early June. So, uh, that's, 
has kept me slightly busy, but I think I was probably at the beach and then I was like, oh crap, I forgot to. Do well, this well, you got to be a little busy trying to even find statistics for uh, Concacaf. I spent um, qualifiers. Yeah, I spent way too much time uh, a few or last week trying to figure out who was going to take corners for Trinidad and Tobago. And once I figured that out, Cordell Cato got sent home. And so now I have no idea. And I'm plus they're probably only going to take one or two anyway. So, but yeah, the CONCACAF stats are interesting. Like I, I can't believe that DraftKings can even do contests because nobody seems to have these stats anywhere or they're just so valuable that nobody can afford to get them. But, or, or, or you have the opposite problem with Conmebol. Conmebol, you can find better stats. It's just that when the games start, you can't find the starting line. <laughs> right. You can find starting lineups, not necessarily the ones from those games or right. correct and, But you also have Trinidad with all the Joneses. Oh, gosh. I forgot about that. Kings is going to even score anything. Uh, I forgot about that. That was a an all-time fantasy flush rant. Um, for those who do not listen to the fantasy flush podcast. I highly recommend it. It's Jordan, uh, unedited. I will say, uh, not that I edit you out of this podcast, but we try to keep the language a little cleaner than that one. But that Jones rant was absolutely hilarious. Um, by default, I just roster Alvin Jones whenever he's on a slate. Cause just in case <laughs> he gets someone else's points, he always he get all the Jones points. He's a floor of zero because he's not there, <clears throat> right. but he does have massive upside. Huge. Huge upside. Scooter Jeanette upside for CONCACAF. <laughs> um, <laughs> so your latest article is about predicting ownership, which uh, expanded a little bit on one that you did previously about, um, we wrote about construction types, but it, that one was kind of focusing more on chalk plays, which is where this predicting ownership one kind of expanded. So uh, the the question was essentially how you predict ownership presented percentages and then how you use them for for cash versus gpp so i mean predicting ownership's kind of a a crapshoot in my opinion i mean you you know who's going to be kind of higher owned but uh do you have any sort of system of thinking like this guy is going to be the most high you know the highest owned and then this guy will be next or do you just kind of take a generic here are the guys that most people are probably going to have typically typically from there but i mean i think you're 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 brushing over the fact that many people out there playing DFS, like you say, it's like, oh, you'll, you know, you'll have a sense of who's going to be the highest owned or whatever. But like some people don't, mm-hmm. some people are surprised as hell and they go, oh, I didn't realize to play that guy. I mean, it's kind of, you know, we go through uh, some of the, the strategy pieces where uh, people have a problem figuring out who the chalk is going to be. And the chalk is almost always going to be the best plays also. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the reason why they're chalk. So I think glossing over the fact of like, well, how do you rank them? It's like, well, some people don't even know that. Now in soccer, uh, the chalk is typically, I mean, obviously there are bad DFS players. They probably don't listen to this podcast <laughs> uh, that don't pay attention to who's taking set pieces, who are the favorite teams at home. Who are the fullbacks that attack and cross a lot, but those those are the those are typically the best plays, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if if you take a even on a large slate, an eight game slate, you look for who are the bigger favorites, who are the who are the set piece takers that have more of a monopoly. There's less of a uh, a doubt on who's going to be taking them. Uh, the forwards that have the highest goal scoring odds, 
And obviously you compare them to the price and you go, okay, well, this guy is seems way too cheap for his role. Most likely other good players are going to see that as well. Mm -hmm. So the ownership on those players should be high, even in GPP where you do want to differentiate yourself, but they're still going to be the highest in any contest that you play. And that's why I always say that when predicting ownership, if you're a good cash player, you're going to be good at predicting ownership because the best plays are typically the highest owned. So if you're playing, if you're negative ROI in cash because you're picking players that don't end up being the chalk, like how do you differentiate in GPP when you don't even know how to do that? Mm -hmm. If you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, because you've said previously that you're kind of your the foundation of your GPP, like you build build cash first and then you kind of split off and create GPP lineups from there. Uh, when you when you look at ownership and, and soccer is obviously a much smaller uh, universe than like football. We've, we've kind of touched on that in previous ones that you really have to find the lowest of the low owned in order to you know win a million bucks. But we don't have that in soccer. And so when you're going from your cash lineup to then uh, look for some different players for a GPP, like how how deep do you go? You're not going to change all every single player because or it doesn't seem like you need to in soccer. So where do you where do you look to differentiate based on ownership? Well, well it depends on the position and it also depends on obviously the contest structure. Mm-hmm. Obviously the hot, the more top heavy the contest, the more likely that you should try, you play to win win. So if if you have to fade the highest owned guy and play an 8%, 6%, 5% forward or something like that, that may be worth it. In a more flatter payout structure, you don't have to be as contrarian. Uh, but I think a, a lot of people use the term contrarian and go, and I've said this before, go too far on this. And uh, it, it's something that I, I've been looking at when playing baseball DFS, uh, which is slightly different because now there's seven positions that are locked versus soccer where there's four. Mm-hmm. You have goalkeeper, defender, midfield, and forward. Uh, so th- those are the player pools. And obviously on DraftKings you have uh, multiple position eligibility, but you do that in baseball as well. But in baseball, you got pitcher, catcher, first base, second base, third base, shortstop, three outfielders. Like you no matter you no matter if there's no good shortstops playing that day, you're gonna have to pick one of them. Mm-hmm. I mean everyone needs to have a shortstop. Everyone needs to have these positions. In soccer you have less of that. Everyone needs to have two defenders. Typically, the, the, that defender and forward are the two positions that no one likes. Mm-hmm. Midfielders, you could always find someone that you're happy with. Forward, you end up with that second forward. You're like uh, Fabio Barini, and you hope that he gets seven points <laughs> right. type of thing. Or a defender where you're like, I'm playing Javier Manquillo so I could pay up for another set piece taking midfielder, and I hope he gets five points. Those types of things. Uh, but that's why when differentiating and, and as far as predicting ownership goes defender and forward to me are more important than midfield. Like you could predict to me, I'd rather take the chalk midfielders and differentiate at defender or forward because you have, you have less to lose and more to gain there. If you could see that, uh, most likely, uh, in cash, the chalk defenders are going to be the rotated cheap fullbacks. You know, you, you think it's going to be like Cedric Soares and someone like Javier Manquillo. Mm-hmm. You go, okay, Southampton's in a good spot. You're going to take one of them, probably probably Cedric, probably most people are. 
It's like maybe in, in the cash game, maybe he's 60% owned. Uh, and then it's going to be one of these two cheap fullbacks, a 3,700 fullback, a Billy Jones, something like that. It's going to be one of these two. And combine those two in a cash game would be 60 or 70% owned. Now, once once you know who most people are taking, it's much easier to then fade what they're taking. Mm-hmm. The more ownership is spread out, the less you can do that. And this, this is why, uh, and I've said before in, in articles, that the lower, co- the lower price, the higher value that the chalk is, the more likely you should be taking them. So like we had one week uh, a couple of weeks ago where Wabi Kazri came into Sunderland mm-hmm. because Moyes, for some reason, just spent half the season not playing him. Uh, but we all know from playing before that when he's in, he takes the Monopoly set pieces. Yep. And especially that day, Yanazai wasn't in, Barini wasn't in. I mean, there was no one else that would look like that even would take anything away from him. And Sunderland was playing at home and actually happened to be favorite that game, even though they were doing for relegation. So, and he's sitting there as a 3,900 midfielder. And you're like, how do you, how do you, how do you not take him mm-hmm. for that price? I mean, that's just stupid. Uh, even though you know that it's probably going to be 80% owned, you're not going to find the production for 3,900. Like, that's not the time to say, well, uh, everyone's going to be taking this 3,900 player. I'm going to find a different 3,900. <laughs> what else are you finding for 3,900 mm-hmm. that could put up a floor of 15 to 18 points? When you're dealing with, oh, everyone's taking Alexis Sanchez at 10-4, that's easier to go, well, I'm going to take, Coast at nine eight or something. I'm going to take another forward because you're whenever you're fading a high owned player, you're fading them not putting up their expected production. And the higher the price the player is, the higher their production has to be to make value. So when you have a a twelve k forward in, when you have uh, Giovinco in at fourteen k or something, or Ronaldo, or, you know, one of the high 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 guys, it's like. If they get 15 points, they actually didn't make value. Right. Like they almost they need to score two goals to make value. That's something you could fade if a lot of people are going to be playing them. If 4,000 making value for 4,000 is like seven points. Like it's it's not that hard if the chalk is there, but if the chalk goes off at 3,900 and gets 25 points, you're dead. There's no other there's no other spot you're going to be able to make up those points. So when you do figure out what the chalk is, uh, the, be more inclined uh, when it's a value play to play to eat the chalk. And when it's an expensive play, be more inclined to fade it. And the higher the ownership on a player, the more likely you should either completely fade or completely eat. If you understand why you would do that. So like we have uh, Let's say we go with the fullback example, which is which is an easier example. Uh, but that Cedric and Mankio type of you figure people are going to go with a high price fullback, probably one of the Southampton guys and uh, and a low price Sunderland, Billy Jones, whatever, whatever type. Uh, now, the, the, the floors of both those players like Cedric, you know, OK, if he gets nine or ten points, I mean, you're pretty happy with his production, but it's not, you know, probably fifty two hundred. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're getting a ton. I mean, if he gets an assist, great. If he gets 20, if he gets a clean sheet, I mean, that's great. 
uh, Mankio or one of those type of guys, you know, if he, get, if he gets five points, six points, you're okay there. I mean, that's on the other side. So if 80%, let's say we go 80, 90% of people are taking that cheap 3,300 fullback, uh, if you could get two fullbacks that, let's say, if people have Cedric and Mankio and you're going to take, let's say, an Adam Smith and uh, like a 4K guy, uh, uh, Stephen Ward or whatever, knowing that they're both going to be 10% owned. All you have to do is you're, you're, if the 80% of people that take Cedric only get three points from him, like you've won. Mm-hmm. Like as long as your guys don't get sent off. I mean, if you put up three points, obviously you've saved the money. But let's say Adam Smith scores a goal and gets 18 points. Well, you're 18 points at 8 to 10% ownership versus the, the, the other guy at 80% ownership only getting six. You leapfrog so many people by doing that that you want to differentiate there. Now, if you take, let's say we take those four guys and we put, okay, Cedric's the highest owned guy at 40%. And then it goes down like 40, 30, 20, 20. It's like, well, if you'd make the same move, you don't, you only leapfrog 40% of the people. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're taking the riskier play, but you're only leapfrogging half of what it would have been before. And the more spread out that ownership is, the, the more risky it is to go completely off, off the radar right. and pick a, pick a guy that no one else is picking. You'd rather you'd rather eat. That's why it's like if you if either you go with the 80 percent, because obviously if the 80 percent guy puts up 25 points and you don't have him, you're dead. Right. (laughs) Uh, But if he puts up zero, you're gold. It's one of the two. But once you put it in that middle zone, if everyone's going to be 20 percent owned, then who cares about ownership? Then you just play the play with whoever you think is the best play, Mm -hmm. because you're not going to leapfrog enough people. You're not going to go. Well, they're going to be the highest owned at 22 percent. It's like, and then the next guy is sixteen percent. In golf, it, 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 this this type of thinking happens if you play a, a DFS golf as well, where you have like five guys at the top that that not no single one is going to get a lot of the ownership. It's going to be like eighteen percent for five guys, and then people start talking. You they listen to podcasts. Uh, who are you going to fit? He's going to be the highest owned. It's like, well, highest owned at nineteen percent. It's not highest owned. Mm-hmm. Just add it, if, you, if you could only pick two out of these five people, pick the two best plays, mm-hmm. but don't make an ownership play. If you know one guy's going to be 44% owned, then you could be like, okay, I'm going to completely fade that guy, or I'm just going to play 100% of that guy. It's one of the, one of the two. But when, that, when ownership is spread out as much as it is, same for, I mean, you see that uh, like uh, with, the, with the set piece taking midfielders. It's like if you know Gilfie Sigerson's going to be 90-plus percent owned, like either take him in all your lineups or fade him in all your lineups. Hope that he dies. <laughs> hope that he puts up value. It's going to be one of the two. But if if you, if someone like that is only twenty, if if it's a ten game slate, and he's the highest owned midfielder at thirty one percent, like all this figuring out of uh, like do I fade for ownership purposes? No, you'd only fade for I think there's a better play purposes. But you wouldn't fade because he's the highest owned at thirty one percent. Only because you're not, you don't have enough. You're not getting enough leverage on the field when everyone has Cristiano Ronaldo and you don't, and he doesn't score. You gain so much more than if only thirty percent of the people have him. Mm-hmm. I can't believe you went through the forward examples to fade and didn't include Harry Kane. 
Oh, Harry, you got you to gotta fade Kane, except if it's on a Sunday. <laughs> you can't fade Kane on a Sunday, apparently. <laughs> I do that every Sunday. Every, yep. That's Sunday routine, whatever, because Tottenham was in the Europa League, so yep. they would always play on Sunday. So I'm like, okay, Sunday, three-game slate, two-game slate, and it's like, well, I want Ericsson, but I don't want to – well, then I can't play Kane because I want to play the set-piece taker in the other game. It's like, okay, fading Kane. Three goals. Fade Kane, <laughs> two goals. Fade Kane, four goals. Just fade Kane and you lose. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's another Sunday. <laughs> uh, I think one of the other things to that you have to worry about, and I we had a complaint on one of our one of my cheat sheets recently because one of the favorites didn't win. And that's a complaint that was yeah. you put up the betting lines for the game and mm-hmm. the betting line favorite didn't win. Yeah. It was actually the top two, I think. So it was like doubly my fault. But anyway, those cheat sleets aren't even like predictions. They're just here's information. You're here's the information. Yep. Right. Yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I'm glad you, you see it. That complain way. about everything. Okay. Um, but the one, the, the guy that always sticks out at me uh, is Mesut Ozil. That until he came on towards the end of the season, but for so much of the season, there were many times where Arsenal was, you know, either the top favorite or one of the top. He was a set piece taker, but he was a horrific fantasy option for how expensive he was because. You know, he may get a few corners, but he didn't get that many, doesn't always cross them. And uh, so I think while set piece taker from the favorite is always important, you, ha- you do have to understand the context and, and whether this guy actually will end up crossing as much or shooting. Like Mesut Ozil is a very different set piece taker than Gilfie Sigurdsson. Uh, and so, you know, there's always there's a little more than just not that you're and, saying and, that's and, it. And, but and for, for, for that reason, I take Ozil more often than most people. Because they don't have him or because they do. Right, have him. right. Because okay. Arsenal's favored and everyone's on Alexis Sanchez. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, they can't put in this lineup construction. There's no way you could play two Arsenal players. Right. So it's like everyone's going to take Sanchez. It's like I'm going to try to shove Shan- Sanchez and Ozil in or just play Ozil in a GPP lineup because I know he's going to be way too under owned because of that fact. Mm-hmm. Like and that's what I did for like King of the Pitch. I mean, it didn't work, but I mean. When Arsenal, you know, has to win and they're going to be bombing forward as much as possible to score as many goals. And, you know, I'm like Ozil at 4% owned. Like, I'll, I'll ride with that. Like, if Ozil's going to be low owned and going to be low owned at 18%, nah. Like, too too many people have him. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I a lot, of t- a lot of times this season I've taken, I'm knowing the pitfalls, and you could win that. I mean, he scores. I had, to, I had him in the week that he scored two goals or three goals. He had a hat trick in the Champions League, whatever. I had him that day at low ownership because everyone looks at that and goes, well, he is the set piece taker, but he doesn't put up the same floor or whatever. It's like, okay, good, which means he'll be lower owned than he should. That's really what it, what it comes down to is, is Ozil, although he takes set pieces, is more of an upside play than a floor play. I was going to say, but you're not, you're not playing him that much in cash. No, yeah, no, of yeah, course. Yeah. Okay. Right, okay. Right. <laughs> that's what I meant. Sorry. Right. But that's what but but knowing that so many so few people are going to own him in cash yes. means that he's gonna be low owned in GPP and people it, it, Sanchez is gonna be thirty five percent owned. And it's like okay, I'll fade him for Ozil. Same mm-hmm. team. And that's what I mean by being contrarian without really being contrarian. Uh you take some a team like Everton, uh many times in GPP throughout the, the season. Uh, Everton would be a big favorite, uh, and you'd see Lukaku 35% owned in GPP. You'd see Ross Barkley or Kevin Morales 20%, 22%. And me, I'm sitting there 
I'll take Tom Davis at 3.7%. Like, contrarian doesn't mean, well, who's the heavy favorite and let me take the team against them. <laughs> right. Like, it could just be who are the favorites and you're going to take the the midfield, the, the maybe not the defensive midfielder, but you take, uh, you know, the the guy that may only play six to 60 minutes, you know, Calvert Lewin or something like that. You you say, okay, I think Everton's going to score three goals, but Lukaku isn't going to be the one that scores them. Mm-hmm. So it's not a necessarily, you know, but I mean, I see some of the, some of these lineups at the bottom of GPPs where it's like, it's like man, uh, Hull at man city. And then, uh, then it's, uh, it's, you know, the, Middlesbrough at Liverpool, and then you'll you'll look at a GPP lineup, and it's like a, a combined team stack of three Hull players <laughs> and two Middlesbrough players, and then you know uh, the most favored didn't even paid fully up for goalkeeper, uh, and you look and you go, how do you had you you need like lightning to strike fourteen times for this to happen? Mm-hmm. Like you're you're t- this lineup looks like yeah, not only does Hull score against. Man City, but they score three or four times because <laughs> you're picking, you know, Markovic, Groziski, and uh, like Evandro or whatever, like mm-hmm. like or or uh, Niasse or Niasse, something like yeah. that. It's like, how many goals do you think Hull's going to score away against Man City? I know Man City doesn't have a great defense or whatever, but I mean, or against Liverpool or something. It's like we're going to go the opposite way. It's like no, Liverpool's a great GPP team because anyone could score. Mm-hmm. Same for Man City. I mean, look, take a look. King of the pitch. It's like, okay, Man City is going to put up a bunch of goals against Watford's complete lack of central defense that they had the last week. Yep. And I'm like, I'm going to have to take a stand. And I'm like, I'm going to have to pick either Gabriel Jesus or Sergio Aguero. And I pick Jesus and Aguero scores two goals. But whatever. But I mean, but that's the GPP play. There's, But neither of them are cash plays only because they're both on the field at the same time. If they, If only one of them was out there, then they become more of a cash play because you're more, you're more sure of who's going to score. Right. And that's, that's what comes into a lot of the fact when we talk about uh, set piece takers being the chalk, why someone like Gilfie Sigurdsson, like there's never a question. He's the only player on that team. Like he is everything. There's no, there's no, is, is if Montero's in, will he'll be taken? No, no, he's not going to be taking corners. <laughs> going to be Gilfie Sigurdsson. Or even when Pyatt was on West Ham last year, or when William started, Last year, you know, or even De Bruyne before Silva started, then then Sonny take, then now you have Man City, then you'll go, you don't like any of these people. Like whenever, when when uh, Milner was in, and then Coutinho was taking some, like it muddies up the situation where these players are too high priced if you're not sure, mm-hmm. because playing ninety four hundred for a guy that's a that you think has a fifteen point floor means nothing when you you look and you see you know, Eden Hazard taking corners and you go, what's going on? <laughs> Do you know what percentage of corners Gilfie Sigurdsson took for Swansea this year? A hundred. Not quite. 93. Well, who took... what? He, he, he was... missed, he missed one game. So that threw it off. Um, and he split early in the season with a few guys after game week 19, he took a hundred percent. Okay. Which isn't like, it's insane when you see the trends from other teams that somebody at least takes one, but literally he took a hundred percent after in the last twenty weeks of the season. Who's the one was steal? Who's the one that was stealing from him? Montero. Yeah, see, that's <laughs> Route, a, and Routledge. Excuse me. Right, the two guys that aren't even playing anymore. Right, right. right. And I'm sure uh, 
trying to think of who else would have um, poached one early. Let me see here. Oh, Mo Barrow. He took a few. Remember when he was uh, a thing? Remember, remember. Yeah, I remember when he was a punt forward. Yeah. And then we all thought it was going to be Luciano Narsing, and nope. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned earlier that Aguero and Jesus can become cash plays when uh, only one plays, which uh, a lot of people have heard you say you never play cash or goal-dependent forwards in cash. And you've uh, explained numerous times, and I'm going to ask you to do it again, of when you would play somebody like them or Diego Costa in cash. Uh, the, obviously, the shorter the slate. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a two-game slate, I mean, how many choices do you have? Uh, and you need to pick two forwards. So, And you know that the high goal-scoring odd forwards are going to be higher-owned, so you're going to have to eat one of them <laughs> on a shorter slate. But even on a four- or five-game slate... Uh, if you're able to find value elsewhere, it's better to pay up for certainty than not. So in the case, like we were talking about before, where the Wabi Kazri shows up as a 3,900, you know, complete great value play. And if you find a nut, you, Stuart Downing, you know, Middlesbrough happens to be in a good spot and he's only 5,700 or whatever. And you put those two and you find that, yes, while, uh, while, uh, maybe Man City or something is favored or whatever, or Chelsea. You know, you see Chelsea's Chelsea's a heavy favorite, but Fabregas isn't in. So now you don't know who's going to take corners because it's going to be, you know, Pedro Costa and Hazard up top and Alonso and Moses on the side. So it's like, there's really no Hazard maybe, but sometimes it's Pedro. Mm-hmm. You don't know. You don't, you don't really know. Uh, so you look and you go, well, it's always Pedro when you're fully convinced it's Hazard. <laughs> right, of course, right, uh, and uh, and you look you look at that and you go, well, based on you know Chelsea's so big of a favorite that it may be better to just just take Costa. I mean, right? I mean, he's not the set piece; he's not going to be taking set pieces. But I mean, Hazard could put up a three, or he could put up a twenty-four. Pedro could come off at the fifty-eighth minute. Like you look at Costa, like Costa's going to play ninety, and if if anyone's going to score, they you know they're they're minus two twenty goal scoring odds, right, or something. And you go, well, I got value everywhere else. And there's nothing else that Sigurdsson isn't on the slate or anything. And you go, well, do I take do I take uh, Wilfred Zaha as an underdog for seventy five hundred at forward? Because he does have get a, more peripherals than a Diego Costa at 10K. Mm-hmm. And you look at that and you go, well, yeah, Zaha has a higher floor, but I'm getting enough value that, you know, this extra 2500 what am I going to do? Just pay up a goalkeeper? What am I going to do? I mean, like, I have nowhere else to spend it. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to spend it, and I know that a high goal-scoring odds forward is probably going to be decently owned anyway. It's like, screw it. I'm, I'll just pay up. I'll just pay up at forward right there because you have the money. Now, in the situation where, you know, you have uh, guys like Sigurdsson, you have the high-priced set-piece takers— you know, Arsenal's playing, and uh, Swansea are both favored, and they're both playing, and you want to take Alexis Sanchez and Gilpy Sigurdsson. Well, th- that's a different story. Now now you're not in a position. Now you, you've just used your two forward spots. You have no problem with that. But in the cases where you find enough midfield and de- defense value, because sometimes you could pay up at defense. Sometimes you look and you go, well, you could use that 2500 to pay up for Marcos Alonso or James Milner or something like that. Yeah, but James Milner, when Coutinho's in, I mean, is he a $6,500 guy? 
Defender? Probably not. Mm. Probably not. You might as well just pay 4500 for the Defender because you're going to get about the same anyway. Or same for, you know, you're playing a 4400 goalkeeper. Yeah, you could pay for the 5800 goalkeeper, but are you gaining that much? But the difference between uh, a mid-priced forward that has somewhat of a floor, which is not a great floor, uh, that's still not a set-piece taker or anything, and for the and paying for the highest goal-scoring odds guy on the entire slate that will most likely will be 20 plus percent owned to me that it becomes a cash play and that's why with uh with like uh, someone like man city it's like once you once you add more attackers now the the goal scoring odds spread out more so that's why in chelsea's system there's one forward up there mm-hmm. like he's gonna be the closest to goal yeah other people could score obviously but I mean, even even when it comes to, you know, with Man City, if they're playing with both forwards up there and they're both great forwards. I mean, one they could score four goals and one guy could end up with two points. Mm-hmm. But if there's if only Aguero was up there or only Jesus was up there, well, now there's more certainty. It's the same thing as when, uh, you know, you have Fabregas in for, for Chelsea and you're like, okay, now at least now we know who's going to be taking set pieces. And even then, sometimes Hazard and Pedro take them anyway. <laughs> but whatever, that happens sometimes as well. Right. Uh, but really, that's that's what the ownership comes down to. It's like you you need to weigh the probability of you being right versus why you're playing them for the price. So if you think so-and-so will be taking most of the set pieces, then he may be worth X price. But if you're not as sure about it, then maybe you don't take either of them. That's why you could have a situation where it's like, I love this game, but I can't take anyone. And that happens a lot in mm-hmm. soccer. That I mean, it happens a lot in a lot of DFS. I mean, that happens to me in baseball, playing baseball DFS. You, te- you see two, two bad pitchers, and then you look at both teams, and you go, well, they're playing as bad batters anyway. It's like, I love the game, but there's no one for me to pick. Because you look at all the positions, and you go, well, the best player in this game to pick based on this matchup is this third baseman, but in this specific game. But it is a 15-game slate, and this third baseman in this other game is an even a better matchup. So then you look at a great game, and you're just like, I know this game is going to be 10-7, to 7, but I'm not going to have anyone in this game because, because any one of these guys could score. So mm-hmm. who knows? So you get that in soccer a lot with with uh, the, the, the heavy. We had the Liverpool problem with Coutinho, Firmino, and Mane. And it's like, they're all 8,500. Uh, Liverpool's favorite at home. They're probably going to score three goals. You don't know who it's going to be. So none of them become cash plays. Like, because you don't you don't know. They all become, all three of them are GPP plays. Mm-hmm. Now, once you start taking them out of there, then Coutinho becomes a cash play, right? Because now you have more certainty. Cause sure. the, 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 who do you think is going to score between Coutinho, Firmino, or Woodburn? <laughs> right there, I mean, or Alexander-Arnold. Mm-hmm. Whoever the hell they throw up there, Lalan is out. I mean, you know what? You can take Emery Chan. I mean, like you get more certainty as more people aren't playing than are playing. That's why in the last game, I'd rather have, you know Man City putting out a clown car. Like clown cars make it easier, actually. Oh, for sure. Right. So clown cars, number one, all the prices go down. Uh, so now, I mean, you may not know some of these players, but I mean, when you're taking a look at, you know, hey, it's it's a bunch of clown cars and Kevin De Bruyne. It's like, well, obviously, you know, who's going to be – is Alex Garcia going to be stealing set pieces from him? No. Like, is Zabaleta going to be – no. I mean, you know who it's going to be. 
when they play their older star in, then then that that's the problem. I think you get it on the other side too when you have a game like Sunderland home against uh, Hull, and you're like, all right, who am I going to get from Sunderland? And you look at Defoe for a GPP lineup, but like after that, if Kazri's not starting, you'll you'll get burned on uh, Yanazai or. You play in Dong. You play uh, you right. play your Larson, something like that. Right. But though they're cheap. Those are cheap. The risk, that's fair. The, right. The, the the thing is, is that when 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 two bad teams play against each other, I love it because, like, your risk in taking players from that game is so much lower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's they're not good players, but I mean, when you're paying four K, for a guy, like if they put up three points, I'm not you know I'm not crying over it. It's like oh, well, I only paid four K for them, right? If I'm going to GPP play. And taking Omar Niasi for fifty two hundred, if he doesn't score a goal, I'm not upset. Mm-hmm. But when you take Lukaku for eleven four and he doesn't score, that's a different story. Mm. I mean, you can't you, you can't win that way. So that's why looking at the teams when two bad teams play against each other, that's the place typically to go for value. You go, you get the value guys from there, and then you pay up for certainty everywhere else. And that's where you play it. That that's the type of slate you play Harry Kane in cash, right? You take a look at Tottenham over a garbage team. And then you, then you go, okay, I'm going to take Kane and Erickson from this game, and then I'm going to go to the Sunderland Hull game and grab a, you know, a Didier and Dong and a Barini or something just to fill everything out because as long as they put up, you know, five or six points each, you know, if Erickson to Kane happens, you know, three times, I'm good. That's it. Did you play Deli Alley much this year? Not not really. I mean, there, he's, a G, he's a GPP play. Sure. That's a different I mean, more I mean, instead of Kane, I guess, not, not instead of Erickson. In some lineups. Yeah. I mean, when, when I'm playing multiple GPP, if I'm playing nine GPP lineups, you know, I'll, you know, I'll have the, the, the only Kane, the only Erickson, the Kane Erickson, the Ollie Kane, the Ollie Erickson, the Ollie Erickson Kane. Mm-hmm. You know, you put all three, you do all the combinations and then you put everyone around them like that. So, I mean, I have played him. The problem is, is he takes up a midfield spot. If he was in a, a yeah. M slash F, be a different, slightly different story. And then because Sun, that's why you play Sun more. Mm-hmm. That's why Sun's ownership, when he starts, tends to be higher because you can put him in a forward spot, especially when selecting a second forward a lot of times in a lot of slates is you're picking the best of the worst. So a lot of times Tottenham is favored. So why not? You throw him in. He has somewhat of a floor and decent goal scoring odds. Ali, when he's 8,800 as a midfielder, it's like for 8,800, you could find a set piece taker for that. Right. Like, I mean, you play maybe in GPP, but like, it's like you either play Kane as a forward, Erickson as a midfielder, Son as a second forward, or an Ali's way behind. Because even if I mean, you, t- you take Ben Davis or Kyle Walker or something, I mean, you'd pay up for defender on Tottenham before you take Ali. Mm-hmm. In ca- I'm talking about in cash. cash yeah. You're more likely to say, you know, oh, I have this extra money. Do I spend it so I go go completely down a goalkeeper and take Ali as a midfielder or do I keep the goalkeeper I want and then just go up from the $3,700 fullback to, you know, Kyle Walker. Right. Like you do the, you do the defender every time. Makes sense. I was uh, <clears throat> looking at a stat as you were talking about Pedro before, how he was more, most likely to come off at the 58th minute. He and Victor Moses were the second most substituted players this season. They each got taken off 20 times. Moses started 29 times, Pedro 26. Do you know who led the league in being substituted off? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's to be Okazaki. 
Uh, Okazaki tied with them, excuse me. He was, so they all had 20. Eden Hazard was substituted off 25 times out of 36 starts. Right, because he comes out, but he, I mean, he comes out of like yeah, the 80s. 89, minute, yeah. <laughs> right. We make but I mean, you, you always say Okazaki because that's kind of like how Leicester play. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whoever that second forward ne- next to Vardy is, is only going to play 60 minutes. Right. Yeah, 20, he played 90 minutes once of his 21 starts, which is, there's your point right there. Um, the, the move, one of the things that, and I was kind of joking about this earlier about upside. I think that was actually before we were, uh, taping, but the, we always talk about how, you know, somebody has goal upside, he's a GP, GPP play. Uh, do you, do you truly consider like any player a GPP play? I mean, obviously oh, yeah. they're any, available. Technical, but. Right. Technically any player is a GPP play, but, uh, whenever I say GPP play, I mean, He's a good play, but risky for cash. Mm-hmm. Typically, that's what I mean by a GPP play. Uh, when technically everyone said, you know, anyone could possibly be, but if he is like, uh, I'm, I'm going to play, you know, four whole players as a big underdog. Like, yeah, that is a GPP play, but no, no, it's a bad play. <laughs> like, it's uh, like the, to me that like Tottenham being a heavy favorite at home, all of their players are GPP players. Are because all their players are good players because they're more likely to score because they're heavy favorites at home. They're going to score three goals, but maybe it doesn't come from the usual suspects. So Ali being not the best option for the price becomes a GPP play that doesn't now dire would be a heavy GPP play, but not necessarily a horrible play, but taking the opposing you know, winger, I mean, that's not a GPP play. That's just a bad play. Like, I would call that. I mean, yes, you could do anything you want because of ownership and leverage and, and GPP contests. But typically when I say, quote, GPP play, that means you're on the right track, right team, but not necessarily the top option for that team for consistency purposes. If Tottenham is a heavy favorite, Erickson becomes the cash play. But he could also be the GPP player. He's the best play. He's a set-piece taker of a heavy favorite home team mm-hmm. that has nearly a set-piece monopoly. Uh, so if he's the cash play, you can't have five cash plays on one team. If he's the cash play and then you look and you go, maybe Ben Davis at a, when he was cheaper, 4300 he becomes a cash play. And then you look and you go, well, Kane at 11 k Maybe not so much. It, depending on the slate's lineup construction, he could be a cash play. But then you look at Ali for eighty eight hundred. He's like he's the third option. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a GPP play. If you want, if it's the same thing that I said before with why I take Ozil a lot of times in GPP when Arsenal is heavily favored because I know a lot of people don't take him. Same thing why you take Ali for Tottenham because people look at Tottenham. Oh, I got to take people from Tottenham and they start loading up on Ericsson and Kane. And maybe Sun. Maybe Sun, yeah. Right. And then you look and you take Ali and he's seven percent owned on a team that's a you know, minus three forty favorite with a three plus goal total. And maybe he shows up with two goals at, at seven eight percent ownership, and Kane will be thirty four percent owned and Erickson will be forty six percent owned. <laughs> that's a GPP play. It's not it's because he's eight percent owned in comparison to the other top players on uh 
on his team that are good plays. If they're all going to be about evenly owned, then it's not a great GPP play. I mean, then he becomes more of a cash play because there would be more equally owned. Mm-hmm. Not that there's like a specific cutoff, but where do you kind of look at what defines as low owned versus high owned? Well, it's all it's all comparison to who the highest owned play. I mean, <laughs> like some slates high owned is 90 percent. Mm-hmm. Some slates high owned is 40 plus percent. I mean, obviously, the bigger slates, the more players to select. But I mean, I mean, I've I've played in I've played in 23 man cash games where Cristiano Ronaldo is 99 percent. I mean, like there's one guy that right. doesn't have him or Sigurdsson on a, you know, a three game slate uh, that's like. You look and you look at it's a I eleven man contest hundred percent owned just completely everyone has them mm-hmm. like that's high owned <laughs> uh, but as the more that there's high owned guys like that the ownership of everyone else's goes down so the next highest owned guy may only be thirty two percent but you may have some slates where multiple guys are forty plus percent because soccer has a lot of short slates yeah when you have two three even four game slates anyone anyone over fifty percent is high owned. But you may have three or four guys that are 50% owned because it's such a short slate. On an eight-game slate, but there's more room for differentiation. But also understand that if a 10K Alexis Sanchez is going to be 60% owned, a 10K Diego Costa is going to be significantly lower owned because of the price point. Because right. most people weren't, aren't going to be able to fit both of them in. So if Sanchez is going to be 60%, Costa may only be 12%. But if Sanchez is going to be 40%, Costa could be 30%. Because you can't fit two 10K guys at the same time. Let's say then now you put Sigurdsson in the mix. So let's say you have a, it, even it's a, it's a three-game slate, and you have Sigurdsson, Sanchez, and Costa. And they're all in favorite positions. You look at that, and you go, Costa makes a great GPP play. I mean, an excellent GPP play. Because mm-hmm. his ownership should be... Single digit, probably. Because if you if you take Sigurdsson, you probably can't fit in Sanchez or Costa. If you take Sanchez, you can't fit in Sigurdsson or Costa. If you take if you're going to take two of them and find cheapos everywhere else, you're probably taking Sanchez and Sigurdsson together. So you're not taking Costa. So you could possibly in GPP go take Costa, who may have the highest goal scoring odds on the slate. Uh and get him for like 8% mm-hmm. in comparison to everyone else because you'll see Sanchez at 46% ownership, Sigurdsson at 68% ownership, and you'll be sitting there with in 10% owned Costa, and you just all you're looking for is like if Costa scores and uh, Sigurdsson puts up only 10 points and Sanchez puts up only 4, you win because th- these two guys are so higher owned that, you know, if Costa scores 2 and that happens, you win, you, you, you're going to win the golden boot. You're going to win the sweeper. Mm-hmm. Like they're so high owned that that's going to happen. But that's what you're looking for in tournaments. That's why I said before, uh, repeating again, if the ownership was closer together, the less likely you care about whether or not they're lower owned. If they're all going to be 30, 30, 30 or 32, 28, 26. Do I take the 26 percent owned guy or the 32 percent owned guy? Probably doesn't matter. OK, the difference between that ownership. Once you go with two 60% on guys and a 10% on guy, yeah, I want to get leverage over most of the field that way. At what point do you really start to consider each guy's ownership percentages? Meaning when you're building your lineups, do you 
bang out a cash lineup and then you go from there? Or is it just always part of your selection from the beginning? Like at what point are you really starting to think about ownership percentages? Well, it's only for GPPs. For right, cash, right. I, don't, I don't really care. Uh, unless, unless it's a short slate and I have to block in higher uh, cash contests with a goal scoring forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, I bet to, to minimize my risk. Uh, I mean, it's only for GPP. I don't, I mean, could, I put up the, I, I, the whole 90% of my time is spent figuring out the optimal lineup for cash. Mm-hmm. That's 90%. 10% is on all the other, it, 10%. I may have 10, 12 GPP lineups, but I could bang those all out in 20 minutes. Like that's, that's, that's the easy part. The hard part is spending three days thinking about the best optimal cash lineup. Because once you get that together, putting the other GPP lineups is no problem. It's like it's like okay, the optimal cash lineup has Erickson and no Kane, and you're playing you know Erickson with uh, you know Downing and then this defender, and you're gonna take this 4K goalkeeper against. Liverpool, because you're not playing Liverpool players, and they're going to shoot a lot on the road, uh, and you, you put that all together. Once you put that all together, it's like, well, okay, if you're taking Ericsson, okay, my first GPP lineup is going to have Ericsson with Kane. My next one's going to have just Kane. Then if I take, you know, Downing or whatever, I said maybe I take Negredo. Like, you take everything that's correlated with your, your cash lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking, you're looking uh, for... Uh, expected value purposes that you're not betting against yourself. That if I'm putting 10, 12 lineups together, if I'm playing, you know, if I'm playing a team, a, a certain team in my cash lineup and not another team in my cash lineup, I want to go. What's with that? If, if, if Downing's going to get an assist, well, who's going to get the goal? I want to have them in my GPP lineup. If, if I'm playing, uh, you know, Man City players, if I'm going to play Leroy Sané in my cash lineup, uh, Maybe in a GPP, that's where I play Aguero. That's where I play Jesus. It's not the type of thing where it's like, well, one, my cash lineup, it, it, if Tottenham doesn't do well and Man City don't do well, I don't do well in cash. But in GPP, you know, I have, you know, Hall players. I mean, it, 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 it makes no sense to do it that way. You, you, you're looking to complement what it is that you're doing. My goal is to win my cash contests and my GPP contests. If my goal was to do the opposite, hey, sometimes it works out the opposite ways. But if your goal is to do one or the other, just play less money. Like it just ends up being that you're betting against yourself. So I'm typically looking in GPP for correlated plays to what that optimal cash lineup is. And that's why 90% of the time goes into what's the optimal cash lineup. And then the correlated plays is not hard to figure out. It's just other guys on the same teams. Or a different game that you're not paying that you're like, you know, you take a look at West Ham versus Bournemouth and you're like, I don't really, this, this Lanzini and eh, there's something better than that. And then you look and you go, do you take Adam Smith? Do you take Stanislas? If, is he going to be taking set pieces? And you're just like, you're not confident enough that you want to play any of those guys in cash, but you'll play them in GPP. You go, okay, I'll take Lanzini here. I'll take Ryan Frazier, even with Stanislas in, I'll take a, you know, Josh King, whatever, throw them in, in a game that I completely ignored in my cash lineup, that's fine. But it doesn't go against my cash lineup. And then I take pieces around what, what's in the cash lineup. So typically forwards for the midfielders. And if I have forwards, I take the midfielders or defenders. 
Like if I if I'm if, if I'm going to play as if uh, if uh, uh, Tottenham's going to score, I don't want to play any of the defenders on the opposite team, mm-hmm. even in GPP, because that's just limiting my upside right there. Not even in the same lineup. I'm, not, I'm talking about in multiple lineups. Right. Like I'm if, if I'm if I'm going to take Chelsea guys to score in half my lineups, I'm not going to take a defender that's playing against them in half my lineups. I'm just going to do well. He's a cheap fullback that may still make value. I don't care. Just to limit in GPP, I want to. I'm trying to uh, make and increase my expected value as much as possible. I want the do whatever I can to optimize my upside, knowing that my floor is you know it's it's going to be one of those. Either I do really well or I don't cash in any of these. But I mean that's to me that's that's proper GPP play. If you're playing to just get in the you know the twentieth percentile, the eightieth percentile, and just cash. Like just play double ups mm-hmm. at that point. But I mean, the the GPP contests are typically top heavy enough where, like I'm, you know, just like just like I've been doing in baseball. It's like I I don't even play baseball cash anymore. It's like I play like twelve, fifteen lineups. It's like I'm playing for I'm I'm playing I'm playing to win. I'm playing to get first. Like I don't care about coming in, you know, six thousandth place for you know forty percent of my buy in because they you don't even get double for the first spots. In a lot of these contests, mm-hmm. and a lot of times, I would say seventy-five percent of the time. I mean, I have to look at my stats. I end up breaking even. I get one lineup that gets you know a hundred fiftieth place, and then a bunch of bombers. Or I get like out of thirteen out of the fifteen lineups, all cash, but they all cash just at the cash line. So it ends up being that it's like, oh, I made forty bucks or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you do that every day. It's like I'm I'm still I'm playing to win. So when you think about leverage in GPPs uh, versus cash, it's like you, know, you, you play, play to win. So if I'm taking three guys on one team and they put up a zero, well, that lineup sucks. Like that's just, I, I live and die by that. But if they put up five goals, well, I got all the goals. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what, that's, that's what I'm looking for. And so you have to weigh uh, based on that. And that's why that, and that's typically why stacking in stocker because uh, people are used to it in other sports, doesn't work as often as as you, you would think. Yeah, occasionally a team scores seven goals, uh, but most of the time they don't. Mm-hmm. And even if they do, one guy could get most of the goals anyway. Uh, so in soccer, a lot of times the stack is only two players. Like right. Erickson and Kane, to me, is a Tottenham stack. You don't have to take Erickson, Kane, Ollie, Davis, and Walker. Like that seems excessive. <laughs> yes, they're not. They're, they're not going to. They're not going to get enough peripherals that's going to be worth it on a four or five game slate, even to take all of them. But Erickson Kane is a stack. Erickson Ali is a stack. Even if you take, even if hey, if you take Walker Davis and Kane, that's a stack. You're going okay. It's going to be a fullback to forward assist type of thing, or same for for Chelsea. Like if you take, if if you take uh, Fabregas and Will uh, Fabregas and Hazard. And Moses, all three of them, that's a stack right there. But, I mean, I do see some GPP lineups that are, like, on a four- or five-game slate even, that's, like, they take five, six guys from one team. And I'm – you rarely you, – you, you, you need you those Spain-Montenegro qualifiers. Right. That's all you need. Even then, sometimes, sometimes that's not even good enough. Right. Sometimes you get that, and you end up with only two guys that score all the points. Mm-hmm. So even then – but, I mean, it just – that's not a GPP play. That's just bad lineup construction. Like, take a stand. Like, I, I think a, a, a lot of the uh, 
That's and not taking too much of a stand. <laughs> no, no, that that's covered all your base. That's just like I think there's going to be goals from this. I I, I want to make sure I get what however many goals because you see that in baseball as well, where people stack too much. It's like oh, there's going to be a lot of runs in this game. Uh, I want to. There's going to be there's going to be a lot of home runs in this game. I'm going to take five guys from this team to make sure to get all three home runs. It's like well, you're going to get all three home runs with five players. It's quite possibly two of the players that you're taking are going to get nothing. So did it really solve what you were doing? Because the two zeros aren't going to win you anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the same thing applies to, to, to soccer. It's just, uh, you, you, you take it in G in GPP. Uh, and it's something that I had to learn even in the beginning. Cause you, you, you you become risk averse. You're like, you know, you want to, you want to, you get in the mindset of covering all your bases and you're like, no, you just have to take what I did for King of the pitch. It's like, I'm taking a stand. Jesus is fourteen hundred cheaper than Aguero and in the same spot to score goals. So I'm going Jesus. I got nine lineups. If I'm taking a Man City forward, I'm going Jesus. And if Aguero scores, so be it. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. But if I go if I go, well, Jesus in one and Aguero in another, and Jesus in one and Aguero in another, all I'm doing is betting against myself. It's like I just might as well play less lineups with one player. So why not just Take a stand. At some point, you have to. You take a good stand. I took Ozil, and that's. I knew he was going to be low owned. I was like, I'm taking a stand. I'm not taking Sanchez. I'm taking Ozil in half my lineups, and it either works or it doesn't work, and that's just what happens. Like, but the times that it works, you get paid ten times more than the times that it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. The most that you could lose is what you put in. The most that you could win is a hundred, a thousand times more than you put in. So the reward to me from from an EB perspective is worth just taking a stand because there, there so many times I've heard from like DFS players, especially in other sports when there are bigger slates uh, that it's like I had all those guys, but not in the same lineup. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. That, and that happens in soccer also. Sure. You play six. You play six lineups and you're like, oh, I had all the guys. If you're playing six lineups and you had all the guys that scored and all not in the same lineup, you screwed up. If you're playing six lineups, how did you have all those guys? Like, that's what I mean by if you're going to, if, if Tottenham, we would be using them as the example. If Kane score and Erickson score and Ali score, and you had all three of them in six lineups on a seven game slate, then you screwed up because if you were playing 20 or 30 lineups, you would have all of them in one lineup at one of the points. So either you should have played 30 lineups or in six lineups, you should have just taken a stand. You should have been like, well, I'm going to take Erickson and Kane, and if Ali scores, so be it. And if Ali scores, whatever. But you would never complain that you had all the right guys in the wrong lineups. You would just have the wrong guys, which is fine. To me, that's fine. To me, it's I'm, I'm fine with you know taking Kane and Erickson getting a hat trick. I'm fine. Okay, took the wrong guy. Got the right result, took the wrong guy. Okay, whatever. But if I'm going to play nine lineups, I'm not going to there, there's six Man City players that you play. One, I'm going to play Silva. One, I'm going to play uh, De Bruyne. One, I'm going to play Aguero. Obviously, if, they, if four of them score, you're going to have, I had all the right guys in all the wrong lineups. Yeah, because you took everyone. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's not that hard when you take, when you predict everyone. I mean, uh, <laughs> take a listen to some, some, uh, some of the, the podcasts out there that predict, you know, here's my picks, and it's like half the guys on the slate. <laughs> it's like, 
than afterwards. I, I got look. I, I was a ninety percent rate. You picked all the guys. You picked everyone. I, it's kind of it's not that hard to have that much success when you're picking. Well, uh, it, I, on this game you should pick one of these five guys, and in this game you should pick one of these six guys. It's like obviously you're gonna be right more times than not. But if you were only forced to pick one person, you're gonna be wrong most of the time. But when you're right, you're gonna profit a lot from it. So that's why if you're in the if you're in the problem of I had I had all the guys win the wrong lineups. Either you need to play more lineups so you could have more of the combinations, or you need to take a stand. Somebody, if you can play three lineups and playing three completely different lineups, to me makes no sense whatsoever. You might as well just play one lineup then, right? Andrew, how many lineups? How many lineups do you play? Uh, three or four, tops. Okay. So it's impossible to have all the right guys and all the wrong lineups. Oh, yeah. I actually find that most people, when they complain about having the right guys but the wrong lineups, is that they are choosing guys that they couldn't put together anyway. So they're like, oh, I had lineups with Kane, Lukaku, Ibrahimovic, and Sigurdsson, but I didn't get right. them together. And it's like, of course you didn't. You can't do that. <laughs> like, right. You can't get them together. Right. right. There, was no, there was no lineup that could have won right. with that, with a... 2K defender that didn't play. Right. Because that's the only person you could throw in. Yeah, I rarely play many lineups only because I don't have the time before lineups come. Yeah, but I don't play that many. I mean, I play, play, you know. I can't believe you. Like nine seems crazy to me. Time-wise. Well, it depends on the size of the slate. I mean, on a three-game slate, I mean. Well, that's true. Five lineups or something. But on an eight-game slate, I'll play 12 lineups. Yeah. But I mean, they all look the same. Like, like, that's why it only takes me. It takes me ninety percent of the time to come up with the first lineup. Right, because not all the other unique, ones. totally unique lineups. Right, because it's not. It, if you took a look at the twelve lineups, you'd be like, well, the only difference between one lineup to the next is a two v two. Like right. all you're doing is uh, paying down a defender here and paying up for midfield there and a different guy. And in this lineup, it's the, you played. You, you, it's like what I do is well, I'm, I want to play. I have four midfield spots because you get the the utility or whatever, uh, and the the MF mm-hmm. multiple position. It could be five sometimes. Right, it could be five. Right, but sometimes you get you get four uh, spots and you have five guys. So it's like or the two midfield spots together. It's like you want to play you want to play these three set piece takers, but you can only fit two in a lineup. So it's like, well, I'm going to put these two together and then the other combination and the other combination, and then you do that three times because you have nine lineups. Mm-hmm. So you do, you know. A, B, A, C, B, C. And you do that three times. And then you have defend. You have three defenders. So you do A, B, A, C, B, C three times. That'll cover all of those. And then you have to do the same for forward. You have three forwards. You do the same thing. And then you have to find whatever goalkeeper fits when doing all of those. And there you go. There's nine lineups. But if you look at all the not lineups, you could see that it's like, oh, out of the nine lineups, most of these players are in at least four out of the nine, if not six out of the nine, if not seven or eight out of the nine. Mm-hmm. So you look at all, if you if you looked at very quickly, you'd be like, it all looks kind of like the same lineup. Just you have one differentiation here, two there, just a different combination. That that's the reason why I can't complain of I had all the right guys in the wrong lineups. If I had all the right guys, I had them in all my lineups. Right. Right, it's like there's no complaint. I either had the wrong guys, or I had the right guys. And the the reason why I differentiate and you know do it that way is because 
I want to make sure I have the right guys in the right lineups. It's like, I have, here's three forwards, here's four midfielders, here's three defenders. Uh, those are the guys that I want to play. Uh, obviously, I can't throw them all in one lineup. But I can throw them in nine lineups. And if one guy, di- if if all my guys do de- decently well, I don't have to worry about, well, I wish I would have had this forward with that midfielder. It's like, I do. That's why I make not line not lineups. So my winning, my winning GPP entry, the first place entry, I'm also in ninth place mm-hmm. because not the ninth place. The only difference was that it was a different defender at goalkeeper. The goalkeeper, instead of getting 18 points, got 14 points. And the defender, instead of getting nine points, got six points. And now that's ninth place. And then you go down from there. So it's like you're still picking the right. You're picking the guys that you want to pick. You're just making sure that you that you're. You're not going like I, I typically don't go. It's like I'm picking these two midfielders are going to be in, in nine out of nine lineups. It's like, no, I pick three. They'll be in set. Each of them will be in seven out of nine. And then I just need to, you know, make sure that two out of the three have a decent game. Because if one is a dud. Yes, that ruins three out of nine of my lineups or four out of nine of my lineups. But one of them could come in first place. Mm-hmm. So that's, but that's still not covering all your bases when you get uh, some of the. The conspiracy forum people, you know, 150 lineups. It's all about bankroll. They could afford to put, uh, you know, $450 into a $3 sweeper to cover all their bases. It's like 150 lineups doesn't cover anywhere close to all your bases mm-hmm. at all. Even even on a six-game soccer slate, it wouldn't. On a six-game, I mean, picture Tottenham. Picture you have Man City and Tottenham both in favorite positions. Okay? So in Tottenham, you got four guys that you could easily choose. And a Man City got four guys you could easily choose. That's over 150 lineups right there to get all of those people together, mm-hmm. even with defenders and goalkeepers and everything like that. So if you want to cover all your bases whatsoever, you'd have to you'd have to enter 100,000 lineups. <laughs> so I mean, it's it. This isn't about covering all your bases. And I think you're actually doing yourself a disservice by trying to do so. I think that's one thing that people get wrong in GPP, where like I'm gonna make I'm I'm you, they're not gonna look at their other lineups when making their own, like when the next lineup. It's like, okay, this lineup's gonna be if this happens, and then the next lineup's gonna be if that happens. I'm just like, no, I have a context for the whole slate, and you're just gonna if all everything goes according to plan, all my lineups should be doing pretty well. I'm ju- I'm just differentiating based on uh one defender getting 14 points versus eight points. One, to, you know, it, cu- coming in third place by one and losing by one and a half points in third place in a GPP, because that def- if if I would have taken Ryan Bertrand over Cedric, Bertrand scored two extra points. It's like, well, that's why I do that. So if he happens to score two extra points, I would have won instead of coming third. Like that's the difference. It's not a matter of well, what happens if Southampton completely craps the bed? It's like, no, I'm not. My lineups don't show that. I'm not going to build a lineup as if if I'm playing Southampton fullbacks and Tottich or Ward Prowse or something like that. I'm not going to make three of my lineups as if they're going to be duds. They may only I may only have one player. I may okay this one I'm I'm not going to put three guys from the team. I'll put one guy from the team, but I'm not going to put together a lineup that's just completely uncorrelative from everything else in a bizarro world where everything opposite happens. Because if that's if you're gonna do that, you might as well just not play that. Just don't play it. Just play less volume. That's fine. 
right? There's a very big difference between hedging and betting against yourself. And I think that was, that's it right there. Right. Hmm. Like, like head to me, hedging is hedging against, uh, a result that comes out that's slightly different than what you expected versus completely opposite of what you expected. And also, I think in, in, in soccer, uh, hedge, hedge lineups in general are a waste of money yet. I can understand them in baseball. That, and this is why a lot of people that play other DFS sports come into soccer and like the game is fundamentally different and the slate sizes are smaller and that combination really throws people off mm-hmm. because they look and they go, who do I stack? And they're like, oh, you're not thinking the right way. Uh, <laughs> and they go like, I'm going to play the hedge of, because that's a common thing that you do in baseball. If you're a big uh, GPP player that you'd play uh, uh, a stack against the pitcher that you're playing in a cash in, in your cash lineup. So like, but typically those are pitchers that are either really good or really bad. Mm-hmm. Like someone that's going to either strike out 11 or give up five home runs, like get completely blown up. So it's like, but in baseball, first prize is like 50 grand, a hundred grand. Like if you, if you're going to stack against a chalk pitcher that you're playing, it may be worth it to throw in a $4 entry. That is a five man stack against that guy mm-hmm. in soccer. The prizes aren't big enough mm-hmm. and the sweeper pays 1500. It's like, What's the point of even even the four bucks or the three dollars or whatever? Is it even worth going? Well, I'm going to st- because what, what would you be stacking against? So it's not like you're stacking against a goalkeeper. Goalkeepers are fairly independent. You could have a you. You could play. I mean, soccer is the only sport that you could legitimately. I mean, it's not like you do this all the time, but you could legitimately play the goalkeeper against your forwards. And that actually is the optimal play. Mm hmm. And you see that when you play against Real Madrid. I was just about you to go, say that, yeah. Right. You're going to take Ronaldo and the goalkeeper against him because he's going to be the cheapest goalkeeper. And Ronaldo could still score two goals, and your goalkeeper could still get 12 points mm-hmm. on eight saves. But you don't see that in, in, in baseball. That can't happen. If your, stack, if your batting stack goes off and the pitcher can't have 24 points, he's giving up too many runs. Right. He's not going to give up eight runs and strike out 16. Yeah, that, right. Exactly. Right. That doesn't happen. But people come from that mentality and go, go. Okay, if people are going to be playing these forwards, I'm going to play the goalkeeper against them. It's like, ah, it's a, you don't understand goalkeepers in soccer. It's mm-hmm. completely up, and maybe they should. I was going to say, does anybody understand goalkeepers? Right, in right. Maybe, maybe it's not the most optimal gameplay. <laughs> that it is that way, but or, but even defenders or whatever. You have people that come from uh, FPL, uh, and look at, you know, clean sheet odds, more. Mm-hmm. And we, and as DFSers, we looked at as like a bonus, right? <clears throat> like, although it is a bonus in FPL, but typically in FPL, that's the primary way that they score their points mm-hmm. versus DFS, where it's just like, well, he's going to, he's going to get 10 points, making crosses and tackles and all that type of stuff. And oh, yay, he got a clean sheet also mm-hmm. like that three points is like, oh, a little, little, little bonus on top of it. But people come from other things and. That and a lot of it is based on the slate size. Um, a lot of the stuff that we talk about in soccer DFS, if we had twelve game slates, or at least ten game slates over a twenty team league, all the time, the play would be so much different. Oh sure. But we have so many of these 
two game, three game, where our big slate is se- when we have an, a seven game MLS slate. Yeah, just, like, wow, it just feels massive. <laughs> right. It's like a massive slate. Wow. I actually I have to make choices, mm-hmm. not not a choice on what two Houston forwards to take. Like that's something like on a seven game slate. You're like, thank God I don't have to take any Houston forwards mm. like that type of thing. I mean, MLS is a completely different story. MLS is that the, it's like, oh, great. It's like, do I take the, it's like everyone's taking Ladero and who do we do? What forward? What what Atlanta? We'll take Almiron and then someone. And then who's that someone going to be? And everyone's lineup looks the same. Like it's it gets stupid. But on a seven game slate, you feel like, wow, like 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 how, how do you you look at some guys? You go, how do I fade? How do I fade this guy? How do I mm-hmm. fade Allison Dream? How do I fade him? It's like, well, it's a seven game slate. You could fade him. Obviously, you could fade Ladero on a seven game slate. On a on a on a two game slate, that's, I mean, it's a crap. I mean, MLS, it's even more of a crapshoot. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, to me, EPL two game slates are easier than MLS two game slates. Totally agree. ML, it, it's I I I still think it applies, and people have quoted me that the difference between EPL and MLS, EPL, you know who's going to win, you're just not sure who's going to score, and in MLS, you know who's going to score. You just have no clue who's going to win. <laughs> You're just like, okay, Orlando. If Orlando wins, Laren's probably going to have a goal. That's pretty. You're pretty sure of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Orlando is favored, so I'm going to take Laren. Mm. And then they lose three nothing. Three nothing at home <laughs> to San Jose. Right. right, exactly. But you, then you take a look at you, you. You take a look at San Jose, and you go, well, Wondolowski. Wando's going to score if if they score. They're fa- and but. If they don't score, I mean, the other team, I mean, like, no matter what, it's going to be, you know, uh, we get to Montreal. You're like, okay, Montreal's favored. I'm going to take Piatti. And then they lose 4 nothing. <laughs> it's like, how, how, how is this wrong all the time? <laughs> right? You know who's going to score. Like, if, if you would have told me that it's like it's, it's uh, Montreal against San Jose, San Jose coming into Montreal, I'll be like, well, if I was going to be con- completely contrary and take the underdog, I'll take Wando in Montreal mm. because if San Jose is going to score, it's going to be Wando. Like that makes sense. But the problem is, is that San San Jose is a plus four twenty underdog, right? <laughs> and they end up winning three nothing. Mm. I mean, like that—that's the problem with MLS and EPL. The thing is, it's like okay, uh, Man City's going to obviously beat, you know, Middlesbrough by at least two goals. But you're not sure if it's going to be one of these four guys that scores it. Mm-hmm. In MLS, it's it's well, only one guy is going to score. It, 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 just like in Atlanta or Houston or something like that. It's like, oh, Kubo Torres. He's probably going to score, right, at home against whatever, a clown car that someone else is putting up. And mm-hmm. then the clown car was five to one. <laughs> and you're just like, how do you predict any of this stuff? This is This is ridiculous. Like you almost have to look at the betting lines and go, let me just play the opposite of that because mm-hmm. at least I know who's going to score. That makes it the easy part. It's like rostering the actual guys. It's like when you take a look at MLS when you do lineup construction, like it's very easy to take the entire player pool, take about ninety-two percent of it, and just throw it in the garbage. Oh sure. Like it's so easy in EPL, you could do maybe half. You could okay, half these players you could throw in the garbage. In, but in MLS, MLS, you just look at you know you look at the Philadelphia Union and you go. Well, pretty much all of them go in the garbage. You go, you go maybe mm, Sapon. Not this year. Yeah, they're, they're yeah, a little better. Yeah, but Fabinho's not worth its price. Occasionally they throw in Gad. I mean, even the, the cheap fullbacks out there. But I mean, but some of it, like, do you take Bedoya? Do you take Herbers ever? 
he takes somebody that even Pontius. Like yeah, really, Dunyanin's been the guy this year, right? Because he takes set pieces, That's or he it, takes though. Sapong. Yeah, right? Sapong as a GPP play. I anytime but, I take Sapong, I just prepare myself to be disappointed. Right. Well, then, but he's he's a, he's the Lukaku of MLS, <laughs> right? He's that type, right? Hmm. I mean, but you get a lot of teams like that. Take, a, I mean, it's yeah. RSL. RSL, I was just about to say, yeah. Right. You take Savarino because he's 4,200, and then you, you then you, you go, I hope he gets eight points as they lose 5 nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Or Minnesota. You can't, you can't tell oh, anyone. Who knows? Yeah, who knows what's right. going on there. Right. Can you take anyone? I'm taking Ibsen. <laughs> you know you're in a bad spot when it's like, <laughs> I need a cheap midfielder, and you're taking Ibsen. Mm. It's like, oh, at least he has somebody. But you're taking Ozzy Alonso. So you need someone that's 4K because you have to fit in, you know, these 10K guys. Right. So they're the only guys on the team. Like, you take a look at Seattle and you go, who do you take? Like this past game. I mean, you take Ladero or you fade him. Right. There's no the Jones, maybe. I played rolled on, actually. Okay. Well, he was in an advanced position, so yeah, that's a little that bit helped. different. But even then, you know, there's only one guy. I mean, whatever. I mean, it's, it's that's the difference. But I think all of this when people come from other sports, I think that's where uh, a lot of the soccer only people get a lot of the concepts much quicker and better than people that come from other sports. Mm-hmm. I think a, a lot of, a lot of the learning curve is how soccer is a different sport than other sports because most of the concepts that apply to soccer are, I don't want to say negative EV in other DFS sports, but not as applicable Right. Because it's just how the other sports are. Like baseball is an event driven sport. Like football, like correlation is so much easier. Right? I mean a quarterback to a wide receiver. Sure. It's not it's not complicated. But assists in soccer could happen from we've seen I mean, take a look at the you know, Ashley Williams assists. Oh. You know, head you know, center back header flick on assists that you're like the corner the, the set piece guy that you have Gets a nice set piece in from a corner. It hits a center back's head for a flick on, and then the other center back scores. Yep. And you go, we wish this was MLS to get the secondary. <laughs> right? But in football, in NFL, I mean, you, you, how often does the running back throw the touchdown pass? <laughs> right. Right. It, I mean, on a, on a kind of a weird trick play maybe, but it's like, well, if I'm going to take this receiver, I know who to pair with them. Right? I'm going to take this tight. Like the correlation, it's easier. But people take that and come into soccer and go, well, I'm going to take the forward and the guy that I think is going to pass to him and the set piece taker or whatever. And then they come. The set piece taker does get 10 crosses in for nine points. There's three goals scored, but the assists come from three other guys. And they go and, they, and then they take that and they go, well, maybe then I have to stack all four of them. And then they do that the next slate. And then one guy scores a hat trick and the other three score nothing. And then they get frustrated and they say how much soccer sucks. <laughs> <laughs> But the same thing happens when you go to baseball, because when you go to baseball, you go, there's no such thing as a floor in baseball. Everyone's floor is zero. Right. So you play a, a minimum price scooter Jeanette on Sunday against uh, against a crappy pitcher uh, and he goes over five. And then two days later, you don't play him and he hits four home runs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that's the frustrating thing of there's no such thing as a floor in baseball. <laughs> Oh, he should be able to get a couple of hits as the leadoff hit. And up, oh, 0 for 6. Who cares? <laughs> right? Doesn't matter. And they won 8 nothing. 
Right, exactly. Or you, you get the middle-of-the-order guy. I had that the other day with Michael Franco. I stack Philadelphia. Everyone's fading the game because of rain, so I have everyone at single-digit ownership. And all my good lineups that scored really high have Michael Franco. They, they, the Phillies score 11 runs. Franco is the fifth hitter. So he's in the middle of all of it, and he's 0 for 5. <laughs> like, how does that happen? How, is, how does that physically happen? That, that, but that happens all the time in baseball. Like, that's just not a single occurrence. That happens all the time. You stack the top of the order, and the bottom order scores all the runs, right? You, you take the leadoff hitter, they score 15 runs, and the leadoff hitter goes one for five and gets substituted. Gets a, you know, a pin, mm-hmm. pinch, uh, pinch runner, right? I mean, like, it, that's baseball, but you have to be used to that. Just like in soccer, you, you stack a team, and one guy scores all the, all the, all the, the goals. It's like, that, well, that, that's soccer. That, that is what it is. Are there any other pet peeves for soccer? That's pretty much it. I didn't want to go down the goalkeeper hole there. Uh, maybe they fix it next year. I doubt it. Uh, maybe. maybe. You're right. Maybe. Well, they do. I, I, I really think it comes down to price. I don't mind the scoring. The pricing is the problem. Mm-hmm. Like if they, if they just if, make it all tighter. Right. If they yeah. just made it all tighter, because the, 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 the advantage you get over taking the, lo- the lower price keeper that's going to get a bunch of saves is because you save two thousand or twenty five hundred, right. so you could pay up elsewhere. Now, when when let's say the difference between, uh, you know, let's say we have Courtois at home against home, like it's like clean sheet easy type of thing, and normally that would be he would be a six K goalkeeper, mm-hmm. and then you have uh, you know, uh, Guzan against Liverpool at Anfield, and he's thirty five hundred. Now, when Liverpool is going to shoot a bunch, so you look twenty-five. That would be normal. But let's say you made it so that Courtois was forty-eight hundred and Guzan was forty-two hundred. Right. Now it's like, it's like you're still considering the same things. Will Guzan get more saves and Courtois not get anything and just get the clean sheet win? Mm-hmm. But you only save six hundred for that decision. Right. So now you actually just make whatever you think is the best decision. If the goalkeeper, if you're like, do I take Fraser Forster for forty-five hundred or do I take? Aurelio Gomez for 4,400. It's like, well, you now you're ending up picking who you think the best keeper is rather than do I take the, the crappier person because of price. Mm-hmm. Once you take that out of the equation, then the score system's fine. Really, that's all that needs to be fixed. Because if you keep the if you keep the pricing the same way, I don't know if there's any way to fix that scoring system other than making saves worth less. I think that's what it is. You make saves plus one. Plus one. Right. That's it. I think, but even then, it's still made. It's even then you, the, the cheaper keeper. How many times do you, you pay forty eight hundred, uh, fifty eight hundred for a keeper, only from the to concede one goal mm-hmm. with no saves. and no saves, <laughs> right? And, and the team wins four to one, mm-hmm. and it was an and, own goal, right? Right, or even right something <laughs> like that. So I mean, it ends up still being a crap. But when you're paying so, when I I don't think anyone would mind if the pricing was because. You wouldn't be upset if the difference between those the, the top and the low was 48 to 42 and the 4,800 keeper you only got five points or three points from. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be that upset. Sure. Like I, I went for what I had the choice of these 10 goalkeepers between a 600 thing and I chose the one that had the highest clean sheet odds. Okay. That makes sense. And he gave up a goal and they, but it, it hurts more when you're paying 2,500 more for them. For that purpose, mm-hmm. when all the good players know 
that unless obviously unless you could find value in other positions that never pay up for goalkeeper. No. No. Uh, well, hopefully Burnbach's been listening this whole time and he finally got to the end when we talk about goalkeepers. Yeah, yeah, but he has no control over anything. No. <laughs> All he has control over is sending out gifts and stuff. And making sure, and making sure, uh, making sure the right Jones is on the field. No, or, that or not, was, or not, <laughs> or making sure that slates get pushed back when uh, bombs go off in Dortmund. Mm. They got that at least. All well, right, Jordan. DK, well, oh. DK did that another time in baseball and completely screwed up. Well, I think that was that was the AMPM switch. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Clocks can be hard. Yes, I know. So so hard. AM, PM, and confirming that before you press submit, you yeah. know, that's, that's a pretty hard job. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, well, thank you very much for all of that. Uh, if anybody's looking for Jordan, he you can find him uh, on Twitter at BlenderHD, BlenderHead, as he describes it. Uh, FantasyFlush.com for his website. Fantasy Flush Podcast, which I listen through iTunes, but I'm sure you can get in plenty of other places. Uh, so, Jordan, thanks for coming on. Uh, I hope uh, people actually got anything out of all that mess. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Soccer Podcast. For more great content, visit rotowire.com slash soccer. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.